0: Welcome to the Religion of the Month Club, where we discuss texts from the world's scriptural traditions. In this episode, we will be discussing the first chapter of the Tao Te Ching. As for the way, the way that can be spoken of is not the constant way. As for names, the name that can be named is not the constant name. The nameless is the beginning of the ten thousand things, The named is the mother of the ten thousand things. Therefore, those constantly without desires by this means will perceive its subtlety. Those constantly with desires by this means will see only that which they yearn for and seek. These two together emerge. They have different names, yet they're called the same. That which is even more profound than the profound, the gateway of all subtleties. This is the first chapter of the Dao De Ching. It is incredibly short, um, and yet incredibly deep and complicated. The whole text uh, is about 50-some-odd characters in Chinese long, uh, each character being approximately one word. Uh, The reason I say approximately 50 characters is that there are different versions of this text, and so they vary slightly in length. Um and because the original Chinese is so dense there are um even a single character change can make a profound difference um so for example when i was trying to figure out which translation to use um i struggled a little bit because of a pass- a piece in verse uh 3 so the translation I have is, The Nameless is the Beginning of the Ten Thousand Things. Um, another version, the version by uh, James Legge, who is uh, one of the earliest translations and, and one of the most um, standard, I want to say. Um, not necessarily the best, but um, because you know it was one of the more scholastic and, and more uh, literal um, and one of the earliest, it ha- it's had a, a, a profound effect on all subsequent translations. Uh, kind, well, I want to say kind of like the King James version of the Bible, but different. Um, anyway, uh, Lege has this this passage translated as, "Conceived of having no name, it is the original of heaven and earth. Having conceived of having a name, it is the mother of all things." So. In this case, in Legge's case, um, he, there's the, the parallelism is between the, original, the originator of heaven and earth and, all, and the mother of all things. So heaven and earth versus all things. Whereas in the translation I just read, it is uh, the beginning of the 10,000 things and the mother of the 10,000 things. So the 10,000 things appears in both, um, both halves of the verse. <clears throat> there's only four sections here. Um, so the, there's a, there's a difference really, right? Between, um, heaven and earth and all things. Uh, now all things in Chinese is actually 10,000 things. Um, that is, uh, and I'm going to get the tone wrong, so forgive me. But, uh, Wan Wu, Wan Wu is 10,000 things, uh, which is often translated as all things. Uh, and then Tian di, tian di, is heaven, earth, uh, or heaven and earth. You might think of those as synonyms, um, and in many ways they are, but they, there is a, obviously a, a, a nuance of difference between them. <coughs> um, and so when I was first approaching this text, uh, looking at Lége's trad- translation and comparing it to other translations, um, one of the things that I, I, I struggled with is, is this, this passage The nameless is the beginning of the 10,000 things. The named is the mother of the 10,000 things. So the problem that I had with this is that it's clearly trying to set up a difference between nameless and named. Um, And I was thinking of beginning and mother as essentially synonymous. And so therefore trying to find difference in the other part. Um, So I thought, well, okay, as nameless, it's the beginning of heaven and earth. And, as named, it is the mother of the ten thousand things there in that in that version, the difference between the two is more apparent. Um, you could think of the nameless as being kind of more primordial um, kind of like uh chapter one of Genesis, where it 's just creating um the heaven and the earth, and then the named once it 's named, then it becomes the mother of the ten thousand things the the myriad. Uh, ...things that exist in in the created universe. Um, But when I found that actually it seems that more... um, ...there seems to be more emphasis on the versions... ...that have the 10,000 things being the same in in both parts of the verse... ...and the only difference being between beginning and mother. Um, So this is the version that Wang Bi um, prefers is, uh, he says, hey, the way he translates it as, therefore, while, the, while they, that is the 10,000 kinds of entities, are still constantly without desire, one has something by means of which to perceive its, that is the ultimate purpose, principle, subtlety. While they, that is the 10,000 kinds of entities, are constantly with desires, one has something by means of which to perceive its, that is the ultimate principles limiting. Um. So he's kind of going in a different direction. He's saying that that uh, the first part is about subtlety. The second part is about limiting. <clears throat> um, but actually, the the version the explanation that I found um, the most interesting is to think of mother not as progenitor, uh, not in her role as progenitor, but as her role as nurturer. Um, <clears throat> So I think that this is actually what is happening in this in this verse. Um, so the nameless is the beginning of the ten thousand things. Um, so nameless is is the is is how the things the ten thousand things come into existence. Um, the named is the mother of the ten thousand things. So think of the mother, not as the source of life per se, but as the nurturer. Um, and the the one that that sort of um, shapes the the being into uh, into adulthood um, and so it makes sense here that the named is what forms things what what shapes things um, And think of this in terms of the mind, right the the source the 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 source of consciousness or the source of being um, is. Is some is somewhat ineffable, right? This is a mystery that that we are nowhere near being able to solve. Um, it is, uh, you know, the philosophy of mind is is still uh, trying to grapple with um, what's referred to as the explanatory gap or the hard problem, as David Chalmers puts it. The, the origin of consciousness is is entirely mysterious. However, uh, the contents of consciousness are not so mysterious, right? This is the realm of psychology. Um, and we have words for this, and words shape thought. Um, so we can understand how words shape thought without necessarily understanding how thought exists in the first place. <clears throat> Going back to the first verse, this is, of course, the the very first verse in the Tao Te Ching in nearly every translation, uh, or nearly every edition, I should say. Um, <clears throat> the one exception I'll call out quickly Actually, the translation I, I just read um, by, is by Robert G. Hendricks, who cleverly titles his translation The De Daoching, not The Dao De Ching. The reason why he does this is because he is basing his translation on two texts um, that, I guess, were lost until fairly recently, and they put the De Ching first and the Dao Ching afterwards. So the... Daoching is um, chapters 1 through uh, 37 of this 81-chapter um, book, and the Te Ching is chapters 38 through 81. Um, so most versions, of course, put chapters put the Daoching first, um, and this is the first chapter of that. And uh, a lot of ink has been... Um, spilled on just explaining, um, this one chapter because it is so dense <clears throat> and it has, uh, it's, it's, it has a, an interesting symmetry to it. So you might've noticed that as I was reading <clears throat> the first, cha- the first verse or the first part of the first verse is, as for the way, the way that can be spoken of is not the constant way. As for, the name, as for names, the name that can be named is not the constant name. And there's actually a, a hidden symmetry that is um, impossible to translate into English because of the way in which um, the Chinese is, each, each character has multiple meanings. So the first part of the first verse is, um, and again I apologize for my pronunciation, is Dao Ke Dao. Um, fei Chang Dao. Ming Ke Ming. Fei Chang Ming. So those are six characters, six words that are doubled. Um, and the only difference between them is the word Dao in the first place and the word um, Ming in the second place. Dao uh, is often not translated when it appears as a noun. Um, so that's why we have the Dao that can be trodden, or the Dao that can be um, spoken of, uh, and whereas Ming is translated as name. So name in English is both a noun and a verb, so it's a lot easier to, to translate that as the name. What it would really be is name. Um, name can name, not eternal name right? And that you, that almost, that's almost a grammatical English sentence, right? The, and you, you just have to put in some extra words there to make it grammatical. So the name that can be named is not the eternal name. Pretty straightforward. Well, not really, but <laughs> it, it at least translates well. Um, the first part, however, Tao can Tao, not eternal Tao, um, or if we translate Tao literally as way, that doesn't really help, right? Way, way can way, not eternal way. Um, kind of sounds meaningless. <clears throat> but basically the, the reason for that is because we don't have a word that can be, that, that works both as a noun and as a verb. So you don't get that symmetry uh, the way that you can with, with noun can noun, sorry, name can name. Not eternal name. Um, so the the second occurrence of Dao in this sentence, where it where it appears as a verb, um, is can be translated as trodden or uh, walked or um, spoken of or conceived of. Uh, it, you know, it, it of course the the word the fact that the word Dao is such a such a key word in the Tao Te Ching. Um, um doesn't you know makes it even more mysterious um but what we have here is is this you know this uh bifurcation into what um you know you might call like the ineffable on the one hand and the ineffable sorry the, ineff- the ineffable on the one hand and the, and the effable i guess <laughs> the the part that can be spoken um or can be that has no has a name or has no name, um, and then in verse three, we have um, here's Legay's translation, um, and I apologize for some reason Legay decided to add some kind of whimsical uh, uh, rhyming scheme here, um, which uh, you know, <laughs> which isn't anywhere else. So I don't know why it's here. Always without desire, we must be found. If it's deep mystery, we would be sound. But if desire always within us be, its outer fringe is all that we shall see. Um, So I'll repeat uh, Henrik's translation. Uh, Therefore, those constantly without desires, by this means, will perceive its subtlety. Those constantly with desires, by this means, will see only that which they yearn for and seek. Um, So this is... Um getting a little bit more practical right so in in the first two verses um we're we're talking so in the first verse we're talking about we're defining our terms in a way we're saying the Dao that can be trodden is not the eternal Dao the name that can be named is not the eternal name um so we're basically saying, okay um we're going to try to talk about something that we can't really talk about <laughs> um the second verse uh conceived of having no name. It is the originator of heaven and earth, uh, conceived of having a name. It is the mother of all things. Um, so the the nameless, the ineffable, is the source of all being. The named, having a name, is what shapes us, what nurtures us, or what nurtures everything, shapes everything. <clears throat> now we're moving into the the things themselves. Um, always without desire, we, we must... Well, I'll not use that translation... Uh, therefore those constantly without desires by this means will perceive its subtlety um, so and then those constantly with desires by this means will seek only that which they yearn for and seek so this is the first place where we actually have some kind of um, uh, maybe an ethic um, or not so much an ethic but like uh, a, a statement that says you know that, that if you have desire um, you're you're only gonna see what you're looking for, and only by uh, getting by by releasing desire or being without desire can we see reality as it truly is. Um, and this you know this is this this is this predates the Buddha um, most likely the origin of this text is a little bit um, debatable or debated, I should say. Um, but we think that it's, uh, probably written or at least that the, um, around the sixth century, uh, BCE, um, the, um, so the Buddha comes a few centuries later, right? We, we think that, that, Siddhartha, uh, was probably around, uh, 350 BCE. So, so this predates Buddhism by about 250 years or so, um, 150 years, I know, let's just say 200 years. Um, <clears throat> and it has a big effect on Mahayana Buddhism once Buddhism reaches China. Um, but even, even so, there's, you know, even in, in the early sutras, uh, you know, even with the, the first turning of the wheel with the um, explanation of the, the, um, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. We see some similarities to what's being espoused here with with regard to desire. <clears throat> um, however, there's also a a significant difference here right in in the um, in the fourfold path, uh, the Buddha says that um, desire that the source that suffering the source of suffering is desire, and the way that you get away from suffering is to eliminate desire. Um, this is saying something a little bit different. It's saying, That, um, without desire, you can perceive true reality, um, and with desire, you'll only see what you're seeking. Um, and in a way, I, I actually think that this is arguably more profound. Um, and it, it does, um, it does segue into the, the Lotus, sorry, not the Lotus Sutra, the Heart Sutra, um, which comes many centuries later, uh, I think around um, the the 661 Common Era, so that would be, um, you know, 1,100 years later or so. So finally, we get to the fourth part of this chapter, uh, which Henriks translates as, These two together emerge. They have different names, yet they're called the same that which is even more profound than the profound, the gateway of all subtleties. Legge's translation is, Under these two aspects, it is really the same. But as development takes place, it receives the different names. Together we call them the mystery. Where the mystery is the deepest is the gate of all that is subtle and wonderful. Finally, in Rudolf Wagner's translation of Wang Bi's version, both emerge from a common origin, but they have different names. Their common origin I designate as the dark and the dark and dark again. It is the door from which the many and the subtle emerge. And in Wang Bi's commentary, he says, both refers to the beginning and the mother. So refer back to what I was saying earlier about uh, the second section, uh, where it refers to the named... The nameless being this the beginning, the source, and the named being the mother. That they emerge from a common origin means that they equally emerge from the dark. They that they have different names means that what they bring about is different. So they they have different names, but they're called the same. This alludes to something that we'll get into more detail. Once we finally get to uh, the heart Sutra, but it alludes to a um, a oneness a hidden oneness behind the apparent duality of existence so this is uh, often referred to more generally as non dual thinking um, it is a uh, almost like a Hegelian synthesis, although that's really really probably doing violence to the term uh, to both terms really but uh, between the um, the apparent separation between the spiritual and the material or or perhaps more uh, in in Buddhist terms the separation between um, samsara and moksha that is uh, the the wheel of existence and liberation um, and uh, various other kinds of dualities that you might think of so in you know, in the first turning of the wheel, um, in in Buddhism, there's this idea of that you know by ceasing to desire, you can cease suffering and attain moksha, attain nirvana, attain liberation. Um, but later, in in the third turning of the wheel, um, or maybe it's the second, anyway, um, there's this idea that um, that there's not really a difference between samsara and moksha. Um, that the two are always here and present, um, that they are really one. They're not They're not essentially different. Um, this is a very profound realization, and it, it's difficult to grasp because it, it seems paradoxical, and it is paradoxical. Um, but it's something that's alluded to in this very first chapter of the Tao Te Ching. And um, even though later chapters uh, get more into you know are, are not the, the whole thing is pretty mystical but it's not this is kind of the essence of it right here um and it's uh interesting that this is how the book begins this is how the um, the daoists who you know whether or not lao tzu actually wrote it in this order or whether it was later rearranged but um this is how the the Taoist scholars uh, decided that, that it should be arranged, that this would be the first chapter that you read um, when you when you approach that Da Jing and when you approach Taoism because this is usually the first book that one would read before reading Zhuangzi and other things. Um, so I'll now read the whole chapter again. Um, I'm going to use a different translation this time. This one is by Jonathan Starr. And uh, see how it's different. Uh, from what we've just talked about and how it connects a way that can be walked is not the way a name that can be named is not the name Tao is both named and nameless as nameless it is the origin of all things as named it is the mother of all things a mind free of thought merged within itself beholds the essence of Tao. a mind filled with thought identified with its own perceptions beholds the mere forms of this world. Tao and this world seem different, but in truth they are one and the same. The only difference is in what we call them. How deep and mysterious is this unity! How profound! How great! It is the truth beyond the truth, the hidden within the hidden. It is the path to all wonder, the gate to the essence of everything. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join us next month when we discuss the Dhamma Chaka Pavatana Sutra.